So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Matthew 5. Um, last week we returned to this Sermon on the Mount. Last year we took each beatitude in turn. And over the next term we are going to work our way through the rest of this sermon. So this morning we are reading Matthew 5 verses 17 Um, through to 20. So let's read God's words together. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. As believers, how are we to think about the Old and New Testament? I wonder if you've ever given this much thought. Or another way to ask it is how are we to balance law and grace or law and gospel? Does the Old Testament have any bearing on our lives today? As believers after Christ's death and resurrection and ascension, should we primarily focus on the New Testament? Well, it seems this question of the relevance of the Old Testament has been raised. And Jesus wants to speak very clearly about this. Very possible these Jewish religious leaders were listening. And he would want to be sure that they heard what he had to say. Now, we reminded ourselves again last week, Jesus overall here is teaching about life in the kingdom of God, the new kingdom that he is bringing. And as he lived on earth, his life, this kingdom life, contradicted the traditional interpretation of the law, the Old Testament, as studied by the scribes and practiced by the Pharisees. We know from the other Gospels as well that From early on, Jesus came into conflict with these religious leaders. His authority to teach and forgive, his view of the Sabbath, his time dedicated to sinners, to women, all of this displeased the religious leaders of the day and didn't quite line up with their interpretation of the Old Testament law. 
And so in verses 17 to 20, Jesus explains first his own relationship with the Old Testament and then the believer's relationship with the law. So we'll take each one in turn this morning. So firstly, Christ and the law. We'll take this from verses 17 and 18. These religious leaders around, they were likely asking of Jesus, who is this man? Or maybe more accurately, who does he think he is? Is he a rebel? Is he a radical? Well, no, he's not. Look again at what Jesus says of himself in verse 17. He says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Do not think. This is a strong statement. It's like Jesus is saying, don't think for one second. In fact, don't even let it enter your head that I have come to abolish and to do away with the Old Testament law. Far from it. I have not come to abolish it. I have not come to bring brand new radical ideas. I haven't come even to just endorse it, but actually to offer something new and different. No, I have come to fulfill it. Or to carry it out. Or to complete it. Matthew, who is the writer here, he's writing to a Jewish audience who would have been well-versed in their Old Testament. And if you read through Matthew's Gospel, you will notice repeatedly the, the statement, this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. Or this took place to fulfill what the Scriptures say. Or, or this is what the Old Testament says. The first time you see it in Matthew is in chapter 1, verse 22, and it comes up again and again and again. Jesus emphasizes his point even further. Look at verse 18. He says, For truly I say to you, that's his way of saying, you've got to listen to this, this is important. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Iota and dot, they are tiny markings in Hebrew letters that that actually wouldn't make a lot of difference to the meaning of the word. And the point here is that the smallest word, the smallest letter, the smallest detail of the law will remain in place and have its purpose until Christ returns. So how then, how does Jesus fulfill the law and the prophets? I should say the law and prophets are just a way of referring to all of the Old Testament. Jesus himself says at the end of Luke's Gospel... He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Further in John's Gospel, chapter 5, Jesus says, 
um, to the religious leaders. You search the scriptures out of the Old Testament because you think that in them you have eternal life and actually it is there, the Old Testament, that bear witness about me. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Now, there's so much we could say about how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. We could go right back to Genesis 3, think of God's promise of the one who would come to crush the serpent and reverse the curse that sin brought. We could think of many Old Testament characters like Moses or Joseph or Joshua, David and Daniel, how they were all a type of Christ. We could think of God's character revealed in the Old Testament, his holiness, his mercy, his love, and and how when Jesus comes in the New Testament, he fully reveals God's character. Or we could think of specific prophecies, perhaps the most notable, Isaiah 53, speaking of God's servant who would come and die in place of God's people and who would rise again and share his victory with God's people. Or what about Psalm 22? The psalm that Jesus himself quoted on the cross. A psalm that gives the most striking detail of Christ's reality on the cross. We could spend so much time on on all of these, but I want to suggest there are two main ways overall that Christ fulfills the old Testament. And the first is this, Christ obeyed the law perfectly. Listen to Matthew 3, verse 15. John the Baptist was hesitating over baptizing Jesus, and Jesus said to him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Paul writes in Romans 10, 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Or listen to what Paul says in Galatians 4. He says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, think about that, to redeem those who were under the law. Isn't that absolutely remarkable? That the perfect, eternal Son of God, the only one above the law, put himself under the law. And Jesus fulfilled the law of God because he fully understood it. He truly interpreted it. And he perfectly Obeyed it to the very last detail. And the second main way that Christ fulfilled the law is through the cross. We can only understand the cross in terms of the law of God. See, of course, it is the law that shows us our sin and condemns us to death because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. But if we think as God's people were given the law through 
Moses. They were given the whole ceremonial system with that sacrifice, the priesthood. You see, sin, breaking God's law, always required death sacrifice. And through the ceremonial system, God provided a death substitute for his people. Jesus fulfilled, he brought full meaning to the ceremonial system. Jesus did not abolish the law. He did not say there's no need for sacrifice for sins. No, he himself became the ultimate sacrifice, the offering to God. Taking on himself, who was the perfect Lamb of God, the punishment prescribed by the holy law of God on sinful man, and so allowing men to pass from eternal death to eternal life. So needless to say, today, we do not do away with the Old Testament law. Because to do away with the Old Testament law is to do away with Christ himself, who is the fulfillment, who gives the law its full meaning and purpose. In fact, we would do well, wouldn't we, to study the Old Testament more. Because the more we study it, the more wonder, the fuller grasp we will have of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be careful before labelling Old Testament as law and New Testament as gospel because all together we have the history of salvation, we have God's plan of redemption, we have the gospel story. And as we strive to read and to understand and even to teach the Old Testament from the youngest children right up. We must, we must show Christ in the Old Testament. So that's our first point, Christ and the law. Secondly, now to think about the believer, the Christian and the law. Look at verse 19. So we've seen verse 17 and 18, Christ fulfills the law. Therefore, so in light of what has just been said, Christ fulfills the law. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now you might ask the question, well if Christ has lived a perfect life of obedience, perfectly obeying the law, and he's done that on my behalf, then do I still need to follow the law? The very simple answer is yes, you do. Paul explains, as Paul is explaining righteousness by faith, as he builds his whole argument up through Romans, he puts the question to the Romans, who were quite possibly asking the question themselves, do we then overthrow the law? If we are saved by faith, do we then overthrow the law? What is Paul's answer? By no means. And I believe that flow in Paul's argument is the flow of Christ's teaching here. See, Christ has fulfilled the law on your behalf, therefore you uphold the law. 
He said, you're by no means to relax even the smallest detail of the law. In fact, greatness in this kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, this new kingdom that Christ has brought, greatness in that kingdom is determined by conformity to the law. Furthermore, verse 20, Jesus continues, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see that? Unless your righteousness is much better, we could translate it, than the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now these scribes, they were absolutely diligent in their study of the scriptures. The Pharisees, they adhered to the law impeccably. It's thought there were over 600 rules or law that these Pharisees and scribes kept credit where it's due. We are going to be hard-pressed to outdo them in righteousness and adhering to the law. Now again, maybe you're thinking, well, what about all that's come before? I-, I thought it was the poor in spirits who belonged to the kingdom of God. I thought it was those who were not very righteous and knew they were not very righteous. What is Jesus saying to us here? Well, I think Paul, the Apostle Paul's conversion is helpful to us here as we strive to understand what Jesus is saying. In Philippians 3, Paul is speaking there about his conversion. And he says, Before I put faith in Christ, I had every reason for confidence in myself, in my righteousness, in keeping all these laws that we've just referred to. Paul goes on, he says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He says, Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Listen to this. As to the law, a Pharisee, as to seal, persecutor of, of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He had done everything, humanly speaking, possible to adhere to the law of God. But, Paul says, Whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not proving yourself right in your own eyes, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see what's happening here? So Paul was focused on human righteousness before his conversion. He was focused on human righteousness or external righteousness. He's what we would call a legalist. He was focused on obeying the right laws to be right before God. But when Paul met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, he saw what true righteousness was. And it was then he became poor in spirit. He knew that his righteousness would never get him into the kingdom of heaven. 
He had to put faith in the perfect righteousness of Christ. See, once we see Christ in all his perfect righteousness, we know that we are poor in spirit. We know we need the righteousness of Christ. And it is from that that comes a hunger and thirst from within for true righteousness. See, righteousness that exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, it's a deeper righteousness. It's an inward righteousness. Listen to what God said through the prophet Jeremiah. He said, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Think about that. Further through Ezekiel, God says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see, the righteousness that exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, it's not us trying to outdo them, but it is a work of the Spirit of God from within us. You see, those who have come into the kingdom by faith, we can't do away with the law of God. Why? Because the Spirit of God is writing it in our hearts, has written it in our hearts. Martin Lloyd-Jones, speaking of the relationship between the Christian and the law, he said the whole purpose of grace is to enable us to keep the law. See, the whole purpose of the gospel, not that that we would be brought into the kingdom of heaven and then left the way we are, but that we would be enabled to obey the law of God and so be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ who perfectly obeyed the law. Now, Jesus goes on to explain further what this inward righteousness looks like. And we're going to take time the next weeks to, to look at this. But if you can just scan down there now, looking at anger and lust and divorce and oaths and so forth, you will notice the repeated phrase, um, you have heard it was said, but now I say to you. I have often thought of this as, excuse me, I've often thought of this as Jesus quoting the Old Testament And then he says how he makes it different. But that will contradict all that we've just said so far. Jesus is not pointing out error in the Old Testament. The Old Testament says this, but then you do this. No. He's not pointing out error in the Old Testament. I believe what Jesus is doing is exposing the wrong interpretation of the Old Testament by the scribes and Pharisees who were trying to make the law very manageable for themselves so they could be right in their own eyes and think they could be right before God. Jesus is trying to expose their wrong interpretation and in turn show the true interpretation and full meaning of the law of God. And we will see that what Jesus shows is the law is not so much about the externals, the things we do, but the motive 
and heart intention behind the things we do. Jesus taught the great and first commandment is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, on these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. You see, the Old Testament law comes down to loving God and loving your neighbor. And I think that's important. Because we mustn't think of this so much as our relationship with the law, a written list of rules, but our relationship with God. And I think actually that is the key difference between the scribes and the Pharisees and this better righteousness that Christ speaks about. You see, a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees is driven by a heart that loves God and loves people. And I believe this is our guiding principle for righteous living. So I think there are times that obeying God's law is is very obvious. It's just very black and white, clear what we should do. But perhaps there are times there may be decisions to make and it's actually more difficult to discern what obedience to God's law looks like. And I think in those times it's helpful to take this principle of love And we ask ourselves in the given situation, am I driven by love for God? Am I driven by love for others? Or perhaps, what is the most loving thing to do in this situation? If we want our hearts to be driven by love for God... And we've got to ask God's Spirit to continue to move within our hearts to increase our love and passion for him and our desire to be like Jesus. The righteousness in the kingdom of heaven comes from the inside out. As we come to a close this morning, I want to just draw our attention to the end of Matthew's Gospel as Jesus leaves his people with the great commission. Matthew 28 verse 18. Jesus came to his disciples and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You see that? I think at times we need such a much bigger view of evangelism. Our goal in evangelism is not just to make disciples, it's not just to get converts, but it's to teach them all that Christ has commanded. It's to see them grow in obedience to the law of God. We want to see people enter into relationship 
personal relationship with God and then we want to show them from our lives and from our teaching to them what it means to grow in love with God. And may God help us to do that. Let's pray together.